Amen. We're in a Timeless Testament series, and I'm going to talk to you today about the mantle and the story of Elijah's chariot. Uh, but let me just open simply with this. You know, life is busy and life is heavy. How many people know that? It's busy and it's heavy. Uh, and it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be good enough. It's hard to say the right things. It's hard to feel the right feelings, uh, to be patient when it's very easy to be impatient, to be uh, peaceful when it's very easy to be angry, to not hold on to grudges, and when everybody's giving you grudges to hold on to. Uh, it's very hard to be a Christian. It's not an easy thing. It's a very almost, actually, it's an impossible thing to be a Christian, uh, to follow in the footsteps of a perfect man. I mean, who can do that? Who could live up to that? And sometimes, uh, myself included, we can feel very insecure about being a Christian. Uh, I'm not good enough. Uh, I don't know that I can do this. And in so doing, well, as we get to that place, and as a young person, I was very insecure as, as a person in my own flesh, in my own ability, a very timid, shy person, uh, not a very outspoken person, definitely would never see myself in front of a group of people more than two or three to speak. Uh, I had to take Pepto-Bismol to take speech class. I mean, I'm seriously, no, no joke. Uh, to ride the bus, I had severe anxiety uh, just to be in crowds. And so, it's, one, it's a miracle I'm here today in this place in my life. But very insecure in that. And then you get into a Christian and you come to be a Christian and you figure out, and you, oh, wow, this is what a Christian is. And then you see a pastor and you see an evangelist. You're thinking, that is not for me. That's what I thought anyway. That's definitely not for me. I'm not one to speak. I'm definitely not going to prophesy or do something weird in an altar. Or, you know, I grew up in a very, uh, very expressive uh, version of Christianity called Pentecostal. And uh, some is a God and, and charismatic or whatever you want to call it. And so I would see crazy things sometimes on Sunday nights, and I'm thinking, I'm not jumping over any pews, I'm not flawing on the floor, I'm not running around doing this thing they call the Jericho March, that's not stuff Heath Harris does. And so you feel very insecure about being a Christian, honestly, and, and I think even today you come into a church in a church setting, and you put pastors up, and you put churches up, and we get into, we read books, and we see evangelists, and you kind of put them up here on this level and you think, well, wow, uh, how could I ever do that? And there's this different level of Christianity. There's the Christianity for the pew, and then there's the Christianity for the platform. Uh, and, and that's how I thought. I really thought uh, that God didn't speak to normal people like he spoke to pastors. I didn't think that that was something that was available for the normal person. I didn't know that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, and you know, going up to street corners and talking to people, that's not something pew people like myself did. That was something platform people did, right? And you get to be very insecure. We look up to these people in our Christian life, and we turn to books, we turn to pastors, we turn to churches. But yet here's the problem. The influence of that pastor in my life is limited. The influence of that church in my life is limited. The influence of that book that I read is limited. Those people are not with me all the time everywhere I go. The, the, the feelings of being around that pastor wears off. When he leaves and the church closes, I go on. I don't have the feeling of confidence that I sometimes have when that pastor's around or that evangelist around, or I'm in a church setting like this, and you go into the world, and you're like, okay, how am I going to be a Christian now? I feel insecure. I feel weak. I feel powerless. Uh, and then I go to read Scripture, and I read these 
stories about these people in the book of Acts. And I read, my gosh, these people were like getting bit by snakes and shaking them off into fire. They're going through shipwrecks and jail and in the middle of a jail. And people are like, the, you know, if you know anything about the uh, history of jails in, uh, in ancient Rome, like people above you would... Their sewage like went into your cell and it was just rats and you didn't have medicine. And here they are in the dark pit singing hallelujah and doors are open wide and angels are having. I'm thinking, I'm a horrible Christian, you know, like I can't do that stuff. How do you how do you compare yourself to people like that? And and who how can I walk in that authority? And you almost kind of get frustrated. And uh, there was an experience in my life where God became so tangible, so real, so powerful. Uh, and I want to talk to you today that sometimes, and I think most times in the American model of Christianity, in the modern American model that we have today, we are producing weak and powerless Christianity and Christians. Uh, it, in a sense, it's this mantle-less, I'm going to talk to you about the mantle, it's mantle-less Christianity. Uh, And there was an epiphany moment in my life when I realized, my gosh, this Christianity is the Christianity that the the, the Christianity I read in Acts, the Christianity that I see these evangelists and missionaries that people read about in books. That's the Christianity that God wants for me, that a pew person, that's the Christianity that God wants for me, that I'm supposed to be like them. And Lord, how can I do that? And so let's talk this morning about taking up the mantle that Christ has left us and using it by faith. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to talk to you about being awakened to the Spirit, wanting the calling, and wearing the mantle. Uh, and we're in this story of Elijah and him and his new apprentice, uh, Elisha. And something crazy is about to happen in Elijah's life. Now, if you haven't been with us, uh, you can read through the story of Elijah in First Kings, at the end of First Kings. And this is a mighty man of God who has uh, been provided for by ravens. And, and he is speaking in a day of, of apostasy. He has prophesied judgment, and he has brought uh, God's word back to Israel despite a wicked king, Ahab, and a wicked, wicked, wicked queen, Jezebel. And God has rained fire down from heaven, and Elijah's had even some bad moments in his own life, almost losing his faith, but yet God's restored him, and he says, Elijah, go call uh, this new dude, Elisha, and begin to call these new kings over Israel and Judah. But here's the deal. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind or a windstorm to heaven, uh, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So apparently God has told Elijah, Hey, you're not going to die. I'm going to rapture you up. I'm going to take you up uh, with a windstorm, a tornado, a dirt devil, something along those lines. And so Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, now Elisha is the, the younger one. Elijah is the prophet here. And Elisha, he said, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. 
But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Don't you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still or be quiet. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, just please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not going to leave you. So they came to Jericho. And then here we have the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho now approached Elisha and said to him, don't you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still or be quiet. Then Elijah said to him a final time, please stay here. for The Lord has sent me across the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophet went and stood opposite of them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Pause right there. Here we find the great prophet Elijah. God's told him, Elijah, I'm about to take you back to heaven today. I'm going to do something supernatural in life. You've been a great servant. You've done what I've called you to do. A mighty man of God by faith. And my gosh, who could ever live up to Elijah? Who could compare to the guy who called down fire from heaven? Even his servant, Elisha. I'm thinking, if you and I are Elisha today, how in the world are you going to live up to the dude and not only did he call fire from heaven, seen miracles and dead people rise and all this kind of stuff, stood against 850 prophets of Baal, wiped about 450 of them out himself. You know, just you are in the school of schools, by the way. And now God tells him and you've got a spiritual revelation uh, and there's this spiritual atmosphere happening where other prophets are knowing what's about to happen. There's something happening in the atmosphere. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to people. And he says, this dude is so awesome. He's not even going to die. God's going to take him. He's going to rapture him. He's going to take him up uh, in a supernatural way that's never been done before, except for Enoch, who was walking with God, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. He was no more. And so you're walking in that level. And I, if I am you and you are me and we're with Elisha, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm feeling really insecure right now about this situation and what's going to happen after he's gone. Uh, but Elisha, something is in him. And there's something that has to be in you and me today as we're walking this road with Christ. Elisha three times is tested. He's tested by Elisha and God to see what is his devotion to this calling that he's on. So he had three opportunities to say, no, it's okay to stay here. It's okay to stay here. It's okay to be like everybody else. It's okay to just not follow me to the very end. And Elisha uh, could have done that. And Elijah would have led him. But Elijah permits him, you can stay or you can go, or you can, you can follow me. You can go with me or you can stay here. And three times, a perfect number, he says, no, I'm going to stay with you to the very end. I think about Jesus and the disciples and his calling to them. He, he, at one point, he turns to his disciples, and people have not liked what he said. And he says, well, are you going to leave me too? And they say, no, we're going to be with you, okay? And he goes on, and, and he begins to talk to them, and that he want, they want to follow him to the very end. They're saying, God, we're going, to, we're going to go with you to Jerusalem. We're going to go with you. And he says, are you sure you're able to drink of the cup of suffering that I'm able to drink? And they say, oh, yes, 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 we are. We want to be with you. And then you go to another time, and we find that Jesus gets arrested. And the Bible says what? They all left him and fled. They didn't make it all the way. And there's this process in Christianity that you and I have to get to. We're following Jesus Christ on this journey. It's a, it's a crazy journey. It's an intimidating journey. It's an impossible journey. And he's up here and we're down here. And something crazy is happening. 
But there's something in this atmosphere that's going to differentiate between the normal American Christianity and the biblical Christianity. And that is what Elisha had. He had a spiritual revelation of the reality that he was living in. It was a horrible day to live. It was a very hard day to live. But he said, there's something special about the journey I'm on. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And I don't know that Elijah told him what was going to happen. But somehow Elisha knew. That means that he had an awakening, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He said, yes, I know something's about to happen. I know. You know, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and Jesus was beckoning them, pray with me an hour. He says, if you would just watch and pray, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Bible says they kept falling asleep. They couldn't even understand. They didn't understand what was about to happen. Their master was about to be taken from them. But Elisha had a spiritual awakening. You and I need to understand that there is something going on in the world today that heaven in hell is a reality, that the Holy Spirit is speaking in the world today, and there is a rapture coming soon. There is a final judgment coming soon, and our master is coming back. There's something going on, and only those Christians that say, God, because of this awakening in my heart that I believe this Jesus thing, I, I sense something in this church thing, I, I, there's something happening, I feel the Holy Spirit drawing me deeper and deeper, and I'm turning away from the option to go any other direction. Three times he turns away. No, I could go get into my career. Oh, I could go get into my hobbies. Oh, I could go get into the pleasures and entertainment of this world. I could fall into prey of this relationship and that. I could turn to all these other things and be a good, normal, moral person. But there's something deeper. And it was a hunger in my heart that I remember before the moment where I had this radical encounter with God as a teenager, I knew there was something God was drawing me to. I didn't know what it was. I never even considered pastoring. It was not even on my radar. But as a young person, I remember reading my Bible before I I knew enough to do that. Just to read my Bible before I go to bed at night and say that little quick, now lay me down to sleep prayer that we all teach our children, right? Had no level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit or, or anything like that. But there was this sense of there is more than what I've experienced. I look at Scripture and I see, my gosh, there's more to Christianity than what I see in my church. There's more to Christianity than what I see in me. When I read about these these uh, early church people, I see a power and an authority and a dynamic walk with, with God. And no doubt Elisha was looking to Elijah and saying, there's something dynamic about this one. And no doubt the disciples were looking to Jesus and saying, there's something special about this one. And if you and I could get to the same place today and say, when I read this word, the revelation of who Jesus is, when I come into church and I sense the Holy Spirit, there's something more down the road. And there's an option for you. I told Pastor Christian, I think it was Pastor Christian this week, you know, uh, if you could do anything else in the world, if we're talking about raising up new pastors and young people, 
And my, my, what I would tell them is, is if you can do anything else, do that. You want to be a pastor? Great. But if you can go work at a factory, go work there. If you can go work oil and you'd be happy, go work oil. If you can go be a doctor and you'd be happy, go do that. Because if you can do anything else in the world and be happy, that's what you should do. But only if you can't do anything else do you want to do this job. That's the calling. That's how you know if you're called. Same thing for you and I as a Christian. If you think there's any other way to find happiness in this world, leave your seat, go find it. Because you have to know there is something spiritually awakened in me that this is the only path I want to be on. Amen. 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 And so, number one, be awakened to the Spirit. Are you awakened that this is the journey that's going to lead you to something great, something deeper, something more. There's no other option. So he was awakened to the Spirit. Number two, he wanted a calling. Look in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. So Elijah, they're at this Jordan River, right? And the Jordan River is about the size of Red River in Alexandria, right? It's not something you just want to casually stroll across, all right? It's not the Mississippi, but it's, it's about that size, half that size. And so he takes his mantle, he folds it together, and he strikes the waters. And it says they were divided here and there that the two of them walked across on dry ground. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, But you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Basically saying it's going to leave it up to the Lord. The Lord's going to decide. So here they are at the Jordan River. And the Jordan River has stood in the way of Elijah's appointment. Elijah is being obedient to God. God says, I've got a time and a place for you to be here. God told Jesus, I've got a time and a place. You need to be in Jerusalem this day for Passover. That's the moment I have for you. Jesus was saying, I'm going to Jordan. I'm going to, Jer- sorry, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. Same thing with Elijah. Elijah is saying, I'm going to this place. He goes a little further into the place of where God has called him to go. He goes a little further. And any time, he's saying, you have any option not to follow me all the way. Jesus is the same thing with the disciples. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. You better be sure you're going to go to me all the way. And so there's a moment, a, a, a moment in time, a, a defining moment, a, a moment of decision. And he gets to the Jordan. There's an obstacle there. But, hey, by faith, God told me to get across the river. He's probably, I don't know, 80 years old by then. We don't know. So he's like, by faith, whoosh, that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm not swimming across this river. Hey, wouldn't that be nice? And then uh, he walks across. And this is the very spot, by the way, outside of Jericho is the very same spot where Joshua, years and generations before, had crossed into by faith. If you remember the story, Joshua had the priests in the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence, the Holy Spirit, dwelt. And he had the priests, and they put their feet into the water, and then immediately parted. And in the middle, he put 12 stones. I kind of think Elijah and Elisha passed by those 12 stones, by the way. That's just something crazy. And so here we are. God is doing something he's done before. He did it with Moses in the Red Sea. He did it with Joshua at this very same place. And now Elijah and Elisha cross through the Jordan River outside of Israel into the wilderness. And they're standing there, and he says, what is this? What are we going to do here? What, what's going on? How did you get across here? Well, it was his mantle. What's a mantle? A mantle is like an outer coat or a cape or a cloak, okay? Uh, some people think that Elijah's 
uh, mantle was made out of animal skin or camel hair or something along those lines. Because sometimes we talk about Elijah being hairy. It's the same way we talk about John the Baptist being hairy. It's likely that his coat was probably an animal skin. So this coat, this robe, this cape-like thing, he takes it and he folds it. Why? This is the same material, the same piece of article of clothing that Elijah wrapped his face in on the mountain with God when he went and heard that still, small voice. This same thing he reverenced himself and walked out into the presence of God with his mantle on. It's the same mantle that he draped over Elisha when Elisha was a, a young man, a boy, and called by God. He, Elisha was plowing with some oxen. God said, Elijah, call that young man right there into ministry. So Elijah comes over, wraps the mantle over his shoulders, and Elisha kills the oxes and follows him into ministry as a disciple, as a student. And that same mantle now, he has slapped the waters with and gone forth. Well, what's the mantle? It's, not, it's a piece of clothing. That's really what it is. But it symbolized something. It symbolized Elisha, Elijah's power and purpose. It symbolized his anointing. That's what anointing means. It's the power and the purpose to be who God has called him to be. It is Elijah was called to be a prophet to Israel. And God endued him with power. And literally, he clothed him, okay? He clothed him and put power upon him to do the job that he called him to do. And so this mantle represents Holy Spirit power. This mantle represents Holy Spirit purpose. And so doing this, he was saying, by the purpose and power that God has called me to and given me, I am by faith walking to where God has called me to walk. In your life, in my life, we need to have something like that. Where God has called you to be, we need that Holy Spirit power and purpose, a clothing of the Holy Spirit, a descending of the Holy Spirit, that is, this is the authority I'm walking in. He walked in the authority of his mantle. He walked in the authority, the purpose, and the power. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So that's the mantle. And so Elisha says, whew, man, what anointing you have, right? It's allowed you to cross on water to get to where God's called you to get to. And it's only by having the anointing of the Holy Spirit the mantle of the Holy Spirit, did you make it to where God has called you to get to? There's some preaching right there you can do on your own time, okay? And so Elisha says, well, man, what, what, can, what can I ask for, you know, what do you, what do you want me to give you, Elijah says to Elisha. And he says, if I could just have a double portion of what you have. Now, what does that mean? Uh, growing up, I always thought it meant twice as much. And actually, sometimes you can talk about it that way because we'll talk about Elisha. We'll do, uh, record 14 miracles versus Elijah 7. I did far more than that. But what it really means is the double portion is a, the symbol of a firstborn son. In Israel at this time, when a s- father would die, the estate would be divided among the children. Okay, so you had uh, four four children and four boys. Well, the estate would be divided, but the first son would get twice as much as the other kids. He would get double the portions. Does that make sense? He'd get double the portions, okay? So he'd get a double portion. He'd get the first share, the largest part of the inheritance. And what Elisha was asking Elijah was simply this. I want some of what you got, and I want to take on 
as the firstborn son your ministry. I want to continue as a son would continue in the steps of a father. I want to take on your mantle. I want to take on your estate. Whatever ministry you are leaving behind, I want to keep it going. He's not pridefully asking for more power, more miracles, or more you know, status quo. He's simply asking and saying, I am going to accept the calling that God had on my life when you wrapped that a mantle around me the first time as a young man. And as you leave, may when you leave, may I, can I continue to do the work I've been called to do? Can you ask God, can I be the next prophet of Israel? And Elijah says to him, well, that's not mine to decide, but if so be it, you see me, then yes, you can continue to be the prophet of Israel. You can continue the work that I started. That's what he's saying. And so he wants to accept the calling. Jesus is the same way. Jesus desired his disciples to accept the calling. And the Bible says in John 17 that he wanted the unity that he had with the Father to be passed down to his disciples. He wanted that he and God were one. He wanted that his disciples and him would be one. He says that I, I, I'm going to give you power over all the uh, uh, over all the enemy, he says to his disciples in training, he says, I give you authority, tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. Nothing is going to injure you. And he said at his resurrection, he commissions him. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and the earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. And then he, uh, the Bible says in John 20, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And he says, I want you, though, to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's a desire here where two passions are meeting. The passion from Elisha is saying, yes, I want this. I want what you have. I want to accept the calling. I desire to uh, the calling that God has for my life. And then on the other side, there is God and God is making a decision. And we see that decision made through Jesus Christ. He says, yes, I want my church, I want the people in the pews to go, therefore, and make disciples. I want them to receive the Holy Spirit. I want them to be clothed with power from on high. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon them. I want them to have the same ministry that Jesus Christ had. So he says, I want the calling. And like Elisha, you and I have to want the calling as well. God is looking for some people in this room today who will say, I'm not just going to receive for myself to be saved, but I want to be clothed with power to go to my community and to this world to continue in the same ministry as Jesus himself. That sounds pretty radical. It really does. It's pretty intimidating, by the way. It's pretty scary. It's pretty risky. But Jesus says, if you believe in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater or more works than these will you do because I go to the Father. What does that mean? He says, the church in large will do more over the next however many years by the power of the Holy Spirit within them and upon them than he did in the, the three years that he was on the earth doing ministry. He's saying that because I go to the Father 
and I'm going to be raptured up. I'm going to ascend, just like Elijah ascended. I'm going, I desire that my children would take that double portion. I desire that my church would receive the mantle of authority. Are you with me this morning? Somebody say amen. Okay. So he says, look in 2 Kings chapter 2. So he had to have an awareness, an awakening to the Spirit. He had to want the calling. Moving on. He had to wear the mantle. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. So they were going along and talking. And behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elijah saw and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into two pieces, and he took up the mantle of Elijah. Look at that. He took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. So Elijah, this great spiritual warrior, this great uh, man of God, this mighty man of valor, uh, the chariots of Israel, the uh, kingdom of heaven, the armies of heaven come down and a a chariot comes and sweeps him off. That's a sign of God's judgment, by the way, that that chariot is a symbol of uh, heaven's angelic armies of judgment. And so they, they sweep him up. And, uh, and there's a whirlwind somehow involved in this. So I don't know if it was the whirlwind was under the chariot or the chariot just split him apart. Then the whirlwind alone took him. But there was two crazy things going on right then, and both of which are amazing. Uh, but that's, even more than, that's not even the point of what I want to get to today. He takes him up, and Elijah, remember, he had the mantle in his hand. It's probably soaking wet, so he didn't have it on. And he goes up, and that mantle falls to the ground. And Elisha is standing there, and he's looking and down at his feet, and looking up, and he's gone. He looks down. There's the mantle. And he says he took it up. He had an action, something he did. He took it up, and he goes, and now he's at a moment of decision. I'm standing at the Jordan. How am I going to get across? i got to go back home. Supper's waiting. I want some McDonald's, whatever. He, he needed to get across. He has a choice. Well, I can swim, or I can do something different. Jesus, in the same way, the Bible says that he had his, his disciples had a similar decision. Jesus dies. The disciples go to hiding. They go to mourning. They try to go to Galilee and fish, but Jesus appears. He tells them about, reminds them of their calling. He calls them to spread their nets again on the other side. He brings them there to the side of the bank, and he begins to uh, re-inspire them about the Word of God and reminds them of the Spirit. He restores Peter, and then he says something to them. He says, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-4. He says, you need to go back to Jerusalem. You need to go back to that place. You need to do what I've told you to do. And you, in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit rests or comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will continue the ministry that I started. The double portion is waiting for you. The mantle I'm leaving behind. I'm going to my Father. And the way I did this ministry on this world was by the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going up so the Holy Spirit, but He's going to stay here And He's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And then He will come upon you. You see, that mantle remained. He went up. The mantle stayed down. And the Holy Spirit is still here for you and I today. 
The mantle is still on the earth of Jesus Christ. The same miracles, the same signs, the same wonders, the same power is available for the church to do the same ministry. I may not do all of it. You may do a part, and you may do a part, and she may do a part, and he may do a part, but it's still the same mantle. And we miss this today in so many uh, avenues of American Christianity. It's just about a song service. It's just about some cool, cool words I can take some notes on and go write a book about. It's just some things we can come and get a moral reconnection or get an intellectual fix. But it's not the power of the Holy Spirit to do the same ministry Jesus did. We can organize this whole community into one. We can, we can feed the poor and all these things that we're doing today. We they just did a huge backpack program and uh, gave backpacks away and thousands of dollars of the school supplies. And all that is great. But if we don't have the mantle of authority, we'll never get to cross that Jordan River. We'll never get back across. We'll be trying to do things by our own power. And so many churches today, it's like the mantle remained there. And we go back to the Jordan River and say, well, how am I going to do this ministry? How am I going to be a Christian? How am I going to live up to pastor so-and-so? How am I going to be like evangelist so-and-so? I'm reading the Bible. I can't do all this stuff in here. I can't see this kind of thing. We're standing at the Jordan River thinking, that is a really far way across. And right behind us on the ground is your mode of transportation. Well, how's a mantle going to get me across the water? I need a boat. I need, you know, call somebody with a canoe and some paddles. I need a life jacket. Here's all these physical things I need, Pastor Heath. If you don't train me to do evangelism, if you don't take me through a step-by-step process of how to talk to somebody about Jesus, I ain't going to be able to do it. If you don't teach me how to worship or teach me how to read my Bible, if you don't do all these things and program me and give me the tools to rope across or zip line over there or however I'm going to get through this Christianity, uh, that's what I need. But here on the ground is the way you got to cross. And so he picks up the mantle. And it was a moment of decision. There was a moment of decision in my life where I had to choose to come down to an altar and receive the power of the Holy Spirit in a way I've never received him ever before that time. It was a moment of faith, of, of taking God at his word and believing that he said, this is available for me. This is the life he wants me to live. It's not a normal American Christianity. It's not a normal intellectual. I, w- I could have I proven to you all the facts of why Christianity is the best religion. I can take you back to the, the history records. I can go back and say, well, th- go back to the records of Meso- ancient Mesopotamia, and you can prove that we have one of the flood stories that lasted. I could, I could talk to you all day long about why literally and, and history Historically, this is the best way to live and the most moral and intellectual. There's 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 all kinds of ways to prove this Bible is true, but it neglects something very important. The greatest evidence today that this is real is the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. What did he do? It says he ripped off his outer garment, and he took up Elijah's mantle. You know what that means to me? He ripped up his own mantle, and he put on his master's. That means he left his purpose and his power and his ability and his plans and his ideology and his hang-ups and his mistakes and all the things he thought he could do And he goes on, he says, I've got another way to live now. 
in the power that God has left me to do the job God has called me to do. He picks it up, he goes to Jordan River, and he says, let's do this. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 14, he had to learn how to walk by faith. He takes the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he had also, when he had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. He took up the mantle, he took up the anointing, the purpose, the power, that God says, I'm calling you, Elisha. I called you when you were a child. Now here's the power you need to do the job I've called you to do. And he says, no doubt he wondered. I think I would have wondered, okay, is this going to work? Maybe he didn't feel goosebumps. Maybe he didn't speak in tongues. Maybe he didn't have all these things going on in his life. There are these, this great worship service where there's an awesome altar and some lights and some fog machine and there's a thousand people down there with him and he couldn't feel the rush you know, of all this stuff that we try to do today. I think he was standing there totally empty. I think he said, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I think he says he's got this in his hand. It's a piece of material, but there's something by faith he had to understand. It was by faith that he received the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians that you didn't receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit by doing works of the law or by, by trying to fit into this social club or meeting all these requirements. That's not how you receive the Holy Spirit. He says you receive the Holy Spirit simply by faith. And it's that simply he comes to this, uh, this river and he says, God, are you with me? Are you the same God? God, where is the God of Elijah? Where is God? Is God real? And he takes a step of faith and he goes, whoom, because he said, I'm going to do by faith what I saw my master do. If we could be a church that says, I don't have to feel the goosebumps and the rush. And I could just say, I'm going to just step out by faith and just start doing what I saw Jesus do and trust the Holy Spirit's going to show up. You know, sometimes I don't have to feel, we don't have to feel the goosebumps to go talk to our neighbors, our friends, or family. You don't have to feel the goosebumps to go pray for somebody. You just go by faith and just trust God to show up. He didn't wait for a sign from heaven to say, yes, Elijah, Elisha, you have the power now. No, he said, I'm going to do what I saw my master do. And then, yes, by faith, God showed up. We have to begin to be a people who say, I'm walking by faith that the evidence of the Spirit uh, is now in my life as I step out in faith. Sometimes we're wanting to get everything ready first before we'll take that leap with God. But if I wait till I'm perfect, if I wait till uh, I got it all figured out, if I plan out how, if I can't, if this mantle thing doesn't work, I've got a boat sitting right here. I've got the blueprints, the schematics, and all the things. I've got a backup plan. But if you just take a leap of faith and say, yes, God, I want the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to that altar. I'm going to step out and talk to my neighbors and family and friends. I'm going to uh, speak out your truth and just trust God's going to give you the words. He said to his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you in that hour what to say. He didn't say he's going to give you a script beforehand. He says in the moment you need him, when you step out in faith to speak, the words are going to come. The power is going to be there. The, the, uh, the anointing will be upon you. And I think about my life and your life in this church. And just as there was evidence of the Spirit on, on Elijah, now there was evidence of the Spirit on Elisha. People noticed he's got the mantle. It wasn't about the cloak of hair or camel skin or whatever. It was the evidence of the Spirit. People are going to know that you've been with Jesus. You've taken on His power when there's evidence of the Spirit in your life. You're not just a good moral, intellectual Christian. You're a good, power-filled, 
Spirit-filled Christian, that there's the evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience in your life. There's the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge and wisdom are now in your life. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation, those things are available and evident in your life to build up God's church, to do what He's called you to do. Those things should be evident in us. And if we're just waiting for a feeling or a sign or some confirmation before we'll act, we're just going to be standing there at the Jordan River wondering, God, would you please show up? Would you start parting the waters? We're praying for a miracle. We're praying for revival. God, please part the waters. And he's saying, I gave you the mantle. Use it. Use what I've given you to be the church I've called you to be. And why is this important? I want to wrap up with this. Why is this important? 1 Kings chapter 19. God told Elijah, you've got to follow me here. This is, if you don't get anything today, get this. 1 Kings chapter 19, God tells Elijah. He says, Elijah, I want you to do something. I want you to go to anoint a new king of Israel, Jehu. And I want you to anoint another guy for, Jerusalem, or for Judah. And I want you to anoint Elisha. This is way back. I want you to anoint Elisha to replace you as prophet. So Elijah goes and anoints this young little dude, Elisha, to be his replacement. He studies for him maybe 10 years or so. But he never gets around to anointing Jehu. Some people think he either wasn't born yet. uh, But he says Jehu is going to be this new king of Israel. He's going to bring judgment. Jehu, Elijah, he's going to bring judgment. He's going to wipe out the descendants of Ahab and Jezebel. And when you anoint him, judgment will enter in on this nation. So he never gets to it. He's raptured before his work is completed. Who did that work fall to? Elisha. He anointed Elisha. And when he took up on the mantle, he took up on the unfinished work of Elijah. And in 2 Kings, it says that Elisha ordered the anointing of Jehu. And through Jehu, Jezebel was killed and all of Ahab's sons were killed and the nation turned back to God in that day. Why is that important? When Jesus Christ left this world, he left you and I a mantle of authority to pick up. There was unfinished work to be done that the gospel will go into the world, and this what? Then the end will come. That judgment will come to the world. You see, there is things for you and I as a global church to be doing and anointing and getting done that Christ said, I'm starting these things in motion, but I can't do them all. I need to go to the Father so the Holy Spirit will grow my church and my church will complete this mission. And when the mission is completed and all the things are done, then judgment is going to come into this world. Church, we have a job to do. You and I are responsible to complete the work of Jesus Christ. You do not join this church to go to heaven. You join this church because you want to do the work of Jesus Christ. You don't want to just be saved. You want to be like Jesus.
You want to, you love him and say, God, like Elisha, God, I'm, I'm, I'm awakened to the spirit. There's a lot of things I could do, but I'm clinging to you to the very end. God, I want this calling. You're leaving me. That's the most important thing that Elisha saw from his master was I've got to have the power that you have. I've got to have the Holy Spirit that you have. And he says, yes, I desire this. And so now I'm taking it up by faith and I'm going to do the work you've called me to do. So long in America, the gospel and the church has been preached about helping you out of your needs and your illnesses and your sick. God does all that. He does that. But he does that when you take on his mantle and do what he's called you to do. This life is not about you anymore when you come to Jesus Christ. It's about you doing what God has called you to do. And I want you not to be a pew versus platform Christian and be intimidated when you see people up in books and churches and pastors and evangelists and say, I could never do that. Absolutely right. I can't either. Elisha was a nobody little dude plowing some oxes on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Israel. He was a nobody, a nobody. But he said, I want something more. Worship team, would you come? Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, today... God, this is all about you. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Father, quicken our spirit. Awaken us to the day which we live. God, judgment is coming on this world. God, you've left us a mantle of authority. God, not to just be nominal, American, moral, intellectual Christians. Lord, to be Christians that are filled from the pulpit to the platform with power from on high. To be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk with authority today over sickness, over disease, over demons, over family troubles, over sin. God, to walk in the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ, not to be tangled in the affairs of this world, but walk victoriously in the might of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be weak. We are weak. We're undone. We're nobodies. But you loved us enough to allow us to be with you on the journey.